Hey guys, um, Lucy's already said welcome, but I want to add to that welcome, especially if you're new. Now, what we do every week at youth is uh, we work through a book of the Bible and just go through it chunk by chunk till we finish that part of the Bible and then do another part. And this term, you've caught us at the start of a series in a book called Galatians, which is going to be a really good time. I'm really excited to be jumping into this letter uh, tonight. It's going to be really good. Now... Um, have you guys ever noticed that Christians are pretty good at getting in fights with each other? We're pretty good at that. They seem to disagree over a lot of stuff, uh, which is one of the reasons why you'll notice, if you've kind of looked around or just driven around on the street with your eyes open, why there's so many different denominations and groups among Christians, evangelicals and Pentecostals, Baptists, Anglicans and whatever, you know, uh, Protestants and Catholics, you hear of all these kind of divisions that exist. And I wonder if the thoughts ever occurred to you, maybe Christians should spend more time worrying about getting on and less time worrying about getting it right all the time. I don't know if that thought's ever occurred to you. I'll be the first to admit that Christians can get in some fights over some pretty silly stuff. Um, I've seen Christians get in fights over what a minister should wear to church, what just anyone should wear to church, what kind of music you should have in church. Some people say that you have to have an organ or it's not legit. Other people say if you don't have like a shredding rock band, uh, then, you know, your church is kind of lifeless and, and not very good. I've seen fights over baptism, whether a person should get baptized when they're a baby or whether they should get baptized when they're like an adult. Um, fights over what you should do with your hands when you sing. Some people say if you don't have your hands in the air when you sing, then... You know, you don't really mean what you're saying to God. And other people say if you do have your hands in the air when you sing, then it means you're some kind of a crazy person who has a bad kind of theology of worship. You know, there's all these kind of fights that Christians love to get in. Here's my question for us tonight, though. Is there anything that Christians should always be ready to fight for? Does something like that exist? And tonight, we're going to take a look at the gospel as we start this letter in Galatians. Now, the gospel is the message, it's a message of the good news about Jesus. And what we're going to see tonight as we look at the gospel is that it is so valuable, so important that we need to fight for it. We really need to fight for this thing called the gospel. Now, we're looking at some serious stuff tonight. The big question It's actually a matter of, like Rachel said, life and death for yourself and for the people around you. Now, Daniel's already prayed, and so let's dig into that passage that he read for us right now and start having a look at it. Now, the first thing that I want us to see as we think about the gospel in this passage here tonight is this. We need to see, first of all, the source of the gospel. That's in verses 1 and 2 in your Bibles there. So where does Paul's message, the gospel, come from? Where does it come from? Have a look in verse 1 there in your Bibles. Have a look in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle. Now, an apostle is just someone who is sent, right? Sent from whom? Well, he says it right there. Sent not from men, nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So, Paul's message, did you hear it? doesn't come from people, it doesn't come from men, instead it comes from Jesus, it comes from God 
himself. And then in verse 2 he says, and also this letter is from the brothers and sisters with me and, and so on. But did you catch what he said there about Jesus? Just on, as like a little aside, did you catch what he said? He said, this message, this gospel, I'm sent not from men, but from Jesus. Now what does that say about Jesus, really quickly? What does it say? Think about it. Sent not from men, but sent from Jesus. What that means is that Jesus isn't just an ordinary man. He's actually God himself in the body of a man. He is the God-man. And so that is who this gospel message comes from. It comes from God and his son, Jesus, the God-man. Now, where you get something from, the kind of the source of something... That's actually really critical for what it is you're getting. Like it has a big kind of, it weighs in heavily on what it is you're dealing with. So imagine on the weekend, you go to your mum, mum, what's for dinner? Because you're like in primary school again, right? <laughs> and that's how you used to roll in primary school. You say, mum, what's for dinner? And she says, we're having gourmet pizza. And you're like, yes, gourmet pizza, that's the best. Where are we ordering from? Is it, is it GPK? Is it Hungry Wolves? Is it, I don't know, Crust? Where is it? I don't know where you guys live. But anyway, you, where's this gourmet pizza come from? And your mum's like, it's from Domino's. You're like, oh, Devo Domino's. I mean, it's, it's still pizza. Like, pizza's still got cheese. It's pretty good. But Domino's isn't exactly gourmet pizza. You know what I mean? That where you source something from makes a big difference to what it is you're getting. The source of Paul's gospel isn't from humans, it's from God, not from people. Which means, guys, that as you read these words in front of you, if you've got a Bible in front of you, you're reading the words of God. Sure, they've come to us through a man like Paul or other apostles or other prophets, right? But these are God's words to you, addressed to you, which has some implications for us as we kind of think about the Bible. It has some big implications. First of all, it means, guys, that the Bible is the authority on what's right and what's wrong. It needs to be the authority. See, uh, at Winnicon, which was... Who went to Winnicon in the holidays? That was pretty good, yeah. It was a good time. We did a thing called Winnicon in the holidays, and we did a seminar. We did a seminar on uh, a whole bunch of things. One of the things we covered was um, whether women should preach in church to men. You know, it's a kind of a controversial issue, and we asked that question. Now, as you answer a question like that about what's right or wrong to do, blah, 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 What we shouldn't do is just go, well, what sounds reasonable to me? What sounds like it should be the case or sounds like it should be true to me? We shouldn't ask that question. We shouldn't say, what do my Christian parents or my Christian leaders have to say? You shouldn't even say, what does the guy up the front have to say, the preacher, Jono, whoever it is. The only question you want to ask when answering a question like that is this, what does the Bible say? Because that's what God says about it, and so you know it's going to be true. Now, your leaders and parents and preachers, they might be helpful in working out stuff like that, but they'll only be be as helpful as much as they point you toward what the Bible says. That's the big question you've got to ask. That's got to be the authority on what's right and wrong. Second implication, you guys, you need to test what you are being taught with your Bibles in front of you in your hands. And I'm talking about right now. Can I say, like, uh, to my Christian brothers and sisters, um, EV Youth has changed in a bad way in the last five years. It has. 
Five years ago, when we had a talk like this, people would come and they'd bring a Bible with them and they'd open it up and when we read the Bible, they'd follow along and they'd see what the Bible has to say. Now, sorry, I should say, I'm not bagging you out if you're new. If you just walked in the door and you're like, crap, I didn't bring a Bible. This isn't for you at all, right? This is for people who come every week, right? We used to open up our Bibles and we'd sit there and we'd follow along when we read the Bible. And then when someone preached, we'd have our Bibles open and we'd read and we'd listen and we'd check that the person up the front was actually telling the truth and we'd follow along with them as we did it. Now, as I look around these days, I reckon 20% of you guys have got an actual Bible with you, maybe less, I don't know. And a whole bunch of you have got them on your phones, I know that. But you've also got Snapchat and Facebook and whatever the heck else you've got on your phones as well. And you sit there flicking between those things instead of actually looking at your Bibles. So guys, bring your Bibles to youth group. Pay it to, you know, like, It's not like you need to bring them everywhere. I'm not saying bring your Bibles to school and also take them to work. Man, start by bringing them to church with you. And pay attention and look at what you're being taught and work out whether you're being taught the truth as we listen to God's word together. All right. That's the first thing. Uh, that's, yeah, uh, the other thing is pretty obvious. I want to say, guys, read your Bibles. Yeah. Uh, it's an awesome gift that we've got God's voice to us here in these pages. And so get into your Bibles. Get a copy of the daily reading notes. Start reading Galatians on your own. Get into the Bible as well. Anyway, the source of Paul's gospel is from God himself. That's the first thing that you need to see. Second thing you need to see, though, in this passage is this. You can see it in verses 3 to 5. Notice the substance of the gospel. Check out verses 3 to 5 with me, starting in verse 3. Have a look. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace and peace, what does that mean? My friend Hazy, he writes that at the bottom of all his emails, and I get a lot of emails from him, right? And all his emails have at the bottom, grace and peace. This is how Paul used to greet people. He used to like, hello, grace and peace. And so it was just a greeting, right? But it's, it's actually more than just a greeting. It's not just how he said hello. It's actually a greeting that's kind of got like a message embedded in it. See, grace and peace is the means and the result of the gospel itself. That's what the gospel is all about. Grace, what does it mean by definition? Grace, it's an undeserved gift freely given to someone. Now, we illustrate this all the time this way. Who wants some grace from me? Yeah, all right. Well, here's a can of lemonade. But because I always give away stuff when we illustrate grace, here we... No, nah, no, that would be, that would be terrible. Um, so I'm not going to do that, right? Um, no giveaways tonight. We always give you stuff whenever we illustrate grace. So tonight, I'm holding off. The can stays here. All right, but if I had given that can to someone, that would have been me showing you an example of undeserved grace, right? That's what grace is. Peace, sorry, you're like, is he really not going to give it? Yeah, I'm not staying there. All right, I'm going to use that later. Peace, peace with God is what we get from the gospel. If we put our trust in it, then the gospel brings us peace with God, a relationship with God. So that's the result of the gospel. Now, how does that happen? How does God show us grace and give us peace with him? We'll have a look at verse 4. From, uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus comes and he rescues us by giving himself to death on a cross for our sins because we'd done the wrong thing. Now, I want you to notice something really quickly in that verse there, verse 4. 
If God sent his son to die, it says by the will of God, and if Jesus willingly gave himself up for our sins, so he willingly went to the cross. It wasn't like he was like, oh, no, God. He did like ask God if it could be taken from him, but he willingly still went in obedience to God. If Jesus did that and God sent him, what does that say about our ability to save ourselves? If God would send his son to the cross and Jesus would willingly go there. What does that say about our ability to save ourselves. It's important. I'll give you an example to help you think this through a little bit. Few, oh, quite a few years ago, I was, um, I was on like a tour in Thailand and we were on a trek and we're going through like the bush in Thailand, right? And this relatively overweight lady, she's pretty nice, but anyway, she, she was a bit chubby and this is important, I'm not just being slack. She like rolled her ankle and she hurt her ankle and we're like 5K from the village that we're going to be staying at that night. And so there's this lady who can't walk because she's hurt her ankle and so here's what like our awesome tour guide did, right? This little like Thai guy, he was like tiny. He picked her up and he piggybacked this lady for five kilometers, like up and down hills, through the bush, over all these boulders and stuff. It was hectic, right? But he, he piggybacked her the whole way to the village and we got there safely. Now, this didn't happen, but imagine if when we got there, right? Imagine if when we got there, she like got down off his back and was like, thanks, man. And just started walking around as if her ankle was completely fine. You'd be like, what? What are you doing? You just made a man carry you for five kilometers and then just, well, fine anyway. Like, why did you do that? It would be crazy. Now, she did need help. She actually did need this dude to carry her, right? Someone being piggybacked for five kilometers on someone's back implies something about their ability to walk on their own, doesn't it? If you see someone getting, like, piggybacked along a hike for five Ks, you're like... That person clearly can't walk on their own. You get the picture, right? What does Jesus coming to die in our place, sent by his Father to do it, imply about our ability to save ourselves on our own? What does it show us? This isn't a trick question. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. We're helpless to save ourselves. We can't just kind of turn over a new leaf and start pleasing God from now on. If you try that, give it a go, you'll find that you fail time and time again. And, and even if we could turn over a new leaf and somehow be good for the rest of our lives and do what God wants all the time, that doesn't change our whole history of sin from before. We've messed up in all sorts of ways and we can't just undo that. And so Jesus comes and he dies in our place instead of us because we can't save ourselves. For you thinkers out there, listen to what a guy called Martin Luther says about these words here in Galatians. Martin Luther's a legend. Listen to these words. He says, Paul's words here are very thunderclaps from heaven against all kinds of self-righteousness, the kind when you think you're good enough on your own. Once we've seen that Christ gave himself for our sins, we realize that we're sinners unable to save ourselves and we give up trusting in ourselves that we are righteous. Do you get what Martin Luther is saying? Do you get what Galatians is saying? Do you get what God is saying here in his word? You can't save yourself and so you need Jesus to do it for you. And so then he finishes this little section in verse 5 like this. He says, no, to our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. (laughs) Praise God for what Jesus did because I can't do it on my own. Praise God for Jesus. 
That's the substance of the gospel. So here's the question. You personally, where is your trust tonight? Who are you trusting in? Have you stopped trusting in yourself to save yourself? And have you started trusting in Jesus? So I reckon most people, most people on the street would agree that, you know, we need help from God to be saved. You know, how do you say that? Oh, God needs to help us or do something, right? But I reckon we trick ourselves. And what we do is we say, yeah, we need help from God to be saved. You know, God might even do 99% of what needs to be done for us to be saved. And then we kind of need to do our little bit, our little 1%. So God does most of it, but then we need to kind of make sure we respond rightly or be really, really sorry or do something and then we do our little bit plus God's little bit and and then we're saved and we've done our bit. No, that's not it. The gospel is 100% God saves us and you contribute nothing. We trust God for it all. And so have you done that tonight? Is that where you're at with God? Now, guys, you might have grown up calling yourself a Christian. You might have come here tonight assuming that you are a Christian. You could be here for the very first time tonight and have no idea about this stuff. Wherever you're at in the past, that doesn't matter. All that matters is tonight, when you walk back out those doors, who are you going to be trusting in for your salvation? Yourself or Jesus? Now, I want to actually push this a little bit further and say something a little bit full on. If you walked in those doors tonight, um, and you, you might have thought that you're a Christian as you walked in those doors tonight, but if you walked in those doors tonight trusting in anything other than Jesus, or Jesus plus just a little bit of something else, a little bit of yourself somewhere in there, that actually means you're not a Christian. Even if you thought you were a Christian, you're not unless your trust is 100% in Jesus to save you. And it's not about, you know, 100% quality. It's not about how good is your trust in Jesus, because that, what's that? That's actually making it about yourself again. How well can I trust you? It's not about how good is your trust. It's who, 100%, is your trust in? Is it in Jesus or is it in something else? Don't assume you're a Christian just because you come to church or whatever. And if you worked out tonight that your trust is actually kind of a little bit in yourself as well as Jesus... Put your trust fully in Jesus tonight. Become a Christian. That's what a Christian is. All right, here's what we've seen so far. We've seen the source of the gospel, that it's from God himself, from the Lord Jesus, and we've seen the substance of the gospel, that God sent his son to die in our place, to bring, to showing us grace, bringing us peace with God. That's the substance of the gospel. Here's the last thing we want to see tonight in this passage, verses 6 to 9. Please follow along with me. Notice the stakes of the gospel. Check it out in verses 6 to 9. Sorry, before we look at it though, I want to play a little game with you guys. You ready for a game? We're going to play Spot the Angry Letter, okay? So Paul, you should know, wrote a whole bunch of letters just like this one to the Galatians. He wrote a whole bunch of letters to a whole bunch of different churches and he always starts off his letters in a kind of pretty similar way. So check out how he starts these letters up on the screen here. Have a look. To the Romans, he says, First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. The Corinthians, 
I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. Colossians, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. One th- you get the point. You can see them all there, right? Check out how he starts this letter. He gets his greeting out of the way, and then his first words to them in verse 6 are, have a look. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Did you spot the angry letter? It's not very hard. It's this one. He just just opens his letter, just goes bang, and just hits them. You're deserting. You're deserting God. You're deserting the gospel. (laughs) He says that they're turning to a different gospel, a fake gospel that's not a real gospel. And he explains how that happened. Look at the second half of verse 7, if you've got a Bible there. He says, Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel. There's people confusing them about the truth of the gospel. They're perverting the gospel. Now, what does he mean by perverting the gospel? I reckon when we hear the word pervert, we think of like some weirdo in a tree looking in your window or something like that, right? Uh, He's not talking about that. Um, Instead, what you've got is you've got some people who are taking the gospel and they're adding something to it. So these guys will be saying something like this. You know how you Galatians trust in Jesus? That's good. Trusting in Jesus is great. Keep trusting in him. But let me just tell you one little other thing that you need to trust in as well as Jesus. So keep Jesus, but just stick this other little thing in here as well. Stick in blank, whatever. Now, in this context, it seems like the thing they're actually adding to the gospel is circumcision. So they're going, you know, Jesus is great. Keep trusting him, but you're going to have to get the old snip as well. And then God will like you and and you'll be right with God. That's what's going on there. I'll give you a very visual demonstration of this. This is where the lemonade comes in, right? I'm not... Gonna, <laughs> I see what I've done there. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. There's another verse in the book of Galatians where he's talking about circumcision and these guys, and he's like, "There's these guys who've come and they've come to spy on our freedom in Christ." Um, that's what he, you, you'll see it later. It's pretty funny. All right. So, like this right here. This. Sorry for the accidental thing I said before. Um, this right here is just a glass of lemonade. Like, it's a pretty legit glass of lemonade, yeah? Who, who would be happy to drink this glass of lemonade? A whole bunch of you. I won't get you to do it. Because before I kind of get you to drink this glass of lemonade, um, I just want to add something to it. Just add a little... Uh-oh. I'll fix it up later. Uh, I'll add a little something to it. So I got some poo from my rabbit's cage today. And so I'm going to take this lemonade and just add in just a little something-something. Oh, man, I dropped poo everywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so... Before, I would have called this just legitimately, I reckon I could have called this just a refreshing glass of lemonade. Now, if I said, who wants a glass of lemonade? Like, you get what's going on, don't you? There's there's something that's kind of gone, that's pretty gross looking at it just now. Um, When you add something to something, that you start with something and you add something else in on top of it, you really kind of, like when you add poo to something, that's a complete game changer. Like, um, you fundamentally change what it is. And it's never more obvious than when you add a price tag to something that you say is free. So later on tonight, we genuinely are going to have free raisin toast, and you can eat some raisin toast if you want. That'll be cool, right? 
But what if I told you the Raisin Toast is free? It is free. Ignore this next bit. But the Raisin Toast is free, except you just have to pay a dollar like cooking fee for it. It's free Raisin Toast plus a dollar charge on the... Like, you can't add a price to a gift without changing the nature of a gift and making it something that you pay for and earn yourself. And that's what these guys are doing with Jesus. They're saying, here's Jesus. Let me just stick this other little thing on here that you have to do as well. Check out this slide. Next slide. Jesus alone really does equal gift, grace. It's a free gift. That's what Jesus alone is. Jesus plus whatever you want to add to it equals works, equals things that we do in the end to make ourselves right with God. It doesn't matter if you put Jesus at the start of it. When you go Jesus plus this other thing, ultimately the bottom line is you're asking people to earn their salvation and we know that you cannot do that. We do that with all sorts of stuff. We do it with heaps of stuff. We, we do Jesus plus make sure you feel really, really sorry about your sin. Jesus plus confessing your sins to a priest or whatever. Jesus plus reading your Bible most days of the week. Jesus plus going to church, whatever. We, this, they're not bad things. Most of them are good things. But when you add them to Jesus and say, do this plus trust in Jesus and you'll be saved, we lose the gospel. You change a free gift into something that you earn. And then we fail again and again to earn the very thing that we've changed and made a work that we have to do. That's why Paul says in verse 6, check out verse 6 again. Paul says about the people who've started following this false gospel that they actually desert God when they do that. They, they're not Christians if they follow this false gospel. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. That's God. These Galatians who are following this extra thing that they add on to Jesus are deserting God. That's pretty serious. It's so serious, in fact, that we can see how serious Paul thinks it is. Look at verse 8. Look what Paul has to say about this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And he's so serious about it that he says it again in verse 9. Check it out. As we've already said, now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Some of your translations of the Bible you'll have there will say, let them be eternally condemned, which is what it means to be under a curse from God. Paul is dead serious about this false gospel. Now, why do you reckon he's so harsh with these guys? Why is he so full on? Like, do you think Paul's just having a bad day? He's been a grumpy pants? What do you reckon? No. He's serious about it because people's eternal salvation is at risk. When you take Jesus and you add works into it in any way, circumcision or whatever, people end up trusting in themselves to earn their salvation, and so they actually lose their salvation because they're trusting in the wrong thing. And so this is a heaven or hell kind of mistake to make. Guys, this is the stakes of the gospel. At the start, we asked, is there anything that's 
always worth a Christian fighting for? Something that Christians should always fight for? And the answer is, yeah, the gospel. Christians should always be ready to fight for the gospel. And history tells us that Christians have died for this truth. Time and time again. So guys, can I encourage you with three quick things as we finish up tonight? First of all, just so you've got the right mindset about this, first thing I want to say, do everything that you can to avoid unhelpful fights. Do everything you can to avoid the wrong sort of fights. That's the fights that are about things that are just kind of what you're used to, what's kind of culturally normal for you, kind of, or even just secondary truths from the Bible, things that are true, but they're not the thing that's worth fighting for in this way. Yeah. Some person says, at my church, we always sing with our hands in the air. Another person says, well, at my church, we never do that. My church meets on a Saturday night. My church meets on a Sunday night. My church believes in predestination. My church doesn't. Whatever it is, these things are worth talking about and having a discussion about, but they're not worth kind of breaking relationship with each other over and, and having a big fight over it. Do everything you can to avoid uh, fights that don't matter that much. Love your fellow Christian brothers and sisters. Be reluctant to fight. But secondly, can I say, be ready to fight for the gospel. Do everything that you can to stand for this truth. Now, I'm not saying every time you meet a person who doesn't quite understand the gospel yet, go up to them and slam them and be like, ah, gospel stance. You know, that's not the point. If a person just doesn't understand the gospel and they're just working it out, then just tell them the gospel. For goodness sake, tell each other the gospel, right? But for the person who's holding themselves up as a teacher, let me tell you about Jesus, and then they go and tell you this thing that's not true about the gospel, be ready to stand, even if it's hard, even if it's the unpopular thing to do. Fight for the gospel. Do it in love, but fight for it. Point out error. Teach the truth about Jesus. And thirdly, last thing. Make sure, guys, when you walk out that door tonight to hang out and do whatever you're going to do, play a bit of trivia, it's all going to be good stuff. Make sure that as you walk out that door tonight, your trust is in the right thing. Be clear on whether you're a Christian or not. Stop for a moment right now and just examine yourself. What do I actually trust in? If you met God and he was like, you know, <laughs> why should you come to heaven tonight? What would you say? You're like, I'm pretty good, I'm not that bad, I did this, I did no, no. Jesus, Jesus who died for me is the only right answer to that question. 